Welcome to Escaping Kerstoberus, the podcast where we rewatch, reminisce, and review everything Doctor Who from 2005 to present. My name is Rich. I am joined by the one person who always takes every opportunity to pull rank in this house. It's Amy. Okay, well, I got really confused by who, what you were referring to then. <laughs> and you then, pulled rank in the house. Yeah, no, it's fine. Yeah. I realised you were you, talking. You to, were referring to the dad in the episode, weren't you? Yeah, right. together eventually. Okay, yeah. I was debating about whether to be like the person I'm joined by someone who doesn't understand the concept of sharing food in public. Well, I thought you were going to go with uh, uh, the person who's always hangry. And just leave it at that. Oh my! Oh, God, that would have been so much this. better. <laughs> I suck at this. That's. I. You know what? The, I was watching the episode, watching um, Ron Cook climb the Alexandra Palace transmitter, and just thinking, how am I going to introduce Amy this week? <laughs> All oh, the I'm time so... she's there going hungry. She's there going hungry, and it's like it's basically me. I. When I'm like sitting think, on the I sofa think, and I'm like, hey Rich, hey Rich, I'm hungry. You want to feed me? I think this is like, I think this is going to be the last episode of Escaping Gustavus because I think we have to break up. Cries. Like, that I should have, I should you have don't known. don't know me. I don't know you. I also don't really pull rank, let's be honest. <laughs> That's the joke. Well. I, honestly, that meme of Radio Wolfcastle saying That's the joke is basically. Amy and I's relationship in a nutshell of just me saying something and Amy's like ah yeah and, ex- and explains it and I'm like yeah yeah, that, that's the joke Ames. I know nice. but it's more well, clarification for myself that I understand what's going on <laughs> you could say Amy <coughs> I'm very poorly I'm very sorry you, yeah Amy, Amy's poorly today uh, don't worry it's not the big C it's not, not that big C the other big C um, I just have a cold so we might, we might, uh, actually I was referring to COVID and cancer, not cold, but. Yeah, no, I, that's what I, I understood that. I was just, just saying, small, I just have the, a cold. It's a, it's a, it's a lowercase C. I just we'll have. Go, we'll go with a, a lowercase C. A poorly cold. Um, so we, we might have this episode run a little bit shorter than normal, just for the sake of Amy's voice. Bless her. Mm, yeah. Cause it's not, she's not, she's not, she's not used to spending <laughs> days not talking. So I apologise. There's lots of coughing in the background. I will try yeah, my best sorry. to go through and cut them, but I don't usually have masses of time mm. to actually, you know, properly edit these things. As you know, if you're listening to this on release day, we are a little bit later than usual because last week um, we just had a lot of stuff going on. Well, we we genuinely, in our like weekly schedule between us with work and like my streaming and everything else. We genuinely have Wednesday nights to record this podcast. Yeah. And that's it. Mm-hmm. If we miss Wednesday night, it has to wait till next Wednesday. So that's, yeah. So I think we're going to run a little bit shorter tonight. But uh, just, just going back before I started coughing, I was about to Sorry. refer to you as being an idiot for not understanding things. And speaking of idiot. Idiot's Lantern. The idiot's Lantern. Hey. Yay. <laughs> Welcome to episode number two of Escaping Costebra season two. Kind of, but also sort episode of. number seven, oh, seven of series two of Doctor Who, written by one Mark Gatiss. Got it. We already on episode seven. His, we are on episode seven. Bear in mind, obviously, we, we did we started five and six episodes in to season two mm. on 
this reboot. Yeah, that's And true. obviously we did them both together. And next week is a two-parter too. Yeah, I thought next it was. Week, next time, I'm going to say. Yeah. Because just don't, in case, We won't go next said, week because you said next week we don't know. last time and it was ended up being two weeks. So we'll just say next time. I said time. next week the time before that and it was six months, lol. Yeah, lol. But, so. Yeah. But Mark Gatiss is back after contributing the definitely underrated uh unquiet dead in mm. series one and he's back again with the idiot's lantern in series two and takes place in london in 1953 and you have the wire using televisions to eat people's faces etc 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 and first things first i'm a realist but also <laughs> that was, don't laugh that, that was awful that was um <laughs> um I've lost my point now for making a bad joke. You said first things first. First things first. Some people don't like this episode. Why? I like it. This is one of the episodes of series two that people go, oh, this is one of the rubbish ones. And I'm like... Is it? "Uh, Is it? I wouldn't call it rubbish. No. I'd call it maybe not as like super strong as some of them oh yeah it's, it's no way like a top tier episode in I any way shape or form in terms of like it's humor in terms of its story it's nice and simple to digest like it's nah. easy half funny yeah pardon it's easy to just kind of sit and take it in and i think it's good i think what they tried to do with it works really well. Um, An episode that implies that sitting in front of the television is bad is actually just good watching for just sitting and slumping in front of the television. Basically. Yeah, basically. We've gone full circle, Mark. You've done it. You, you've 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 beaten the game. Well, the meta is real. No, I quite enjoy this episode. I do as well. It's 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 kind it's kind of squeaky clean to some extent. There's not much to really get sort of up in arms about mm. i guess yeah. there's nothing to look at and really dig into and go this is all really interesting and really a lot to unpack it's kind of why with amy being unwell it's like we might do a shorter episode this week to sort of compensate it's like this actually has landed at the right kind of time yeah there's, 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 there's enough to talk about with idiot's lantern don't get me wrong um but it's not like it's not really one you can really dig into the characters of Everyone sits very much on the surface. Yeah, there's nothing like this. hidden. There's no. I wouldn't say there's no. I mean, there is depth, but it's depth that is like obvious. There's depth, depth in the narrative. Yeah, but it is quite. I wouldn't say paper thin because whenever you'd say something is paper thin or doesn't have any depth, you'd assume it's bad. Bad. Thing. But it doesn't need to be. Is it's fine. It's mm. just sort of easy watching. It's like it's almost a filler episode but you don't kind of realise it's a filler episode. Because normally filler episodes stick out like a sore thumb. Boomtown, Mm -hmm. arguably, is a filler episode, but there's a lot more to that. There is a ton of depth to that episode. And I think the people that go in expecting an Idiot's Lantern sort of depth, they're, you know, the kiddie pool of Doctor Who, um, they miss all of the the nuance that was in Boomtown. This kind of nuance you don't get in Idiot's Lantern. Well, that's because it's not really necessary. No, exactly. The point of Idiot's Lantern is that it's supposed to be a bit fun a bit jovial a bit kind of like running around because like what what episode was it last week 
Rise of the Cyberman Age of Steel. Rise of the Cyberman Age of Steel. Yeah. Yeah. Like, as much as there was stuff that they were doing, there wasn't tons of running in the last episode. Like, it was all quite well-paced. It was all quite thought out, all quite, like sort of structured whereas in this one yeah, it feels they obviously had a bigger bigger time window well to play yeah with obviously but in this one i kind of enjoy the kind of fun like oh look we're in new york no we're not we're in london and then it's like oh <laughs> so it's going on oh no quick let's find the nearest house and find out what's going on and then it's just all kind it's of sort like, of all go yeah which i quite like but i think it feels like very classic like 2005 2006 doctor who as it should be kind of like i miss that kind of running around jovial aspect of it sometimes yeah it's like it's not an episode as as we said it's not an episode that makes you think a lot Mm. but it's not an episode that you can i say it's not an episode you can just sit and watch it is as an episode you can sit and watch but there is in terms of an analytical standpoint which is obviously why we do this podcast and why we like going back and watching this there's actually a reasonable amount to talk about mm-hmm. about idiot slander that i find really quite well so I, I say this literally every week it's something i love about doing this podcast is going back and actually going through and, and working out what makes doctor who tick yeah basically so obviously the, the episode not- set in 19 19- <laughs> uh, episode is set in 1953 i'm just moving straight on set in 1953 just before queen elizabeth ii uh coronation <laughs> it's very oh, sorry bless you <laughs> um which admittedly in terms of coronation and stuff we are literally as of today it was announced about the queen's platinum jubilee yeah it's next year next Four yeah. day bank holiday weekend, Thursday to Sunday. Ooh, Hell's whoop. yes, provided she lives that long. Yeah, I She'll mean ninety six. Wow, when it rolls around. I so mean, she's she's doing well. She ain't going anywhere at the moment, is she? So no. Yeah, admittedly, if she didn't kick it straight after her husband, then she's. A, I mean, we knew she was a strong woman, but you know, something like that. It's quite a. It can kick you pretty pretty mm-hmm. hard when something like that happens. But anyway, back to the sort of fictionalized queen mm-hmm. in in this the first thing you really come up against in 1953 britain is the fact that it is a very different era prior to queen elizabeth taking the throne mm. and the, the you know as much as there's a lot of stuff about the royal family at the moment that's you know not really relevant there was a big shift within the royal family when elizabeth took the throne and there's a big shift in society as well and one of the the big things they lean into on this um which i bet you if this were if this episode i think everything about this episode could easily be aired now oh easily quite easily without any like um any kickback because it was a representation of what households were like back the time the 50s because you have mr connolly uh being this very brutish hyper masculine mm-hmm. arsewipe yeah quite frankly basically to his very very timid very quiet Mousy. but still very sharp wife Mm-mm. and his son who is definitely the a child of, of this new era that is coming with the coronation of the queen and they fully lean into the idea of you know they there's, there's the whole scene of the doctor sort of barging in and there's the whole housework is a woman's job yeah kind of thing and obviously the doctor transcending that those sort of petty gender norms that earth has they literally there's literally a line of that in the capaldi era about you know we're in advanced civilizations we don't get 
mix up in your squabbles about gender norms yeah this is the thing it's like when people are complaining about Jodie's era about that oh it's too politically correct I'm I'm not being funny but David Tennant literally just had a go at a man because he said housework was a woman's job like it's not that Jodie's is more political it's just that everybody nowadays is like oh everything's too political they look out for it they seek they Mm -hmm. seek out the political commentary and they put it they push it to the forefront yeah but But, no I think this one was right on the nose because it's like you know People people deny the 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 true sort of uh, progressive nature of Doctor Who because it doesn't it doesn't coincide it doesn't correlate with their approach to mm. life. It's why it's always pushed away. Like obviously, as of yesterday, Pride Month has kicked in. Yeah. Um, happy Pride, everybody! Happy Happy Pride. Uh, and there's a it's obviously a ton of stuff going around. There's a load. I've I've, I've ended up back into Doctor Who Twitter. Um, all right with seeing lots of just like uh all the the memes and the stuff going on and there's tons and tons of things about like doctor who and just like shipping random characters and right implying that this person's bi and stuff like that and honestly i find it really funny because a it's really cute and b i know it pisses people off mm-hmm. so i'm like i'm all game for that but somebody shared a, a picture of there was Jodie in the centre, and then there was 9, 10, 11, 12, and uh, Ruth, Joe Martin's mm-hmm. doctor, sort of colour, um, like colourised all around. Right. It's like a fake poster, and I can't remember what the caption was, but it was something about like pride. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. And just people kicking off about like, oh, you know, it's all woke now. And it's like, I know I've, I've said this on Who Culture videos a million times. Like, you go back to doctor who in the bloody 70s mm-hmm. and it's political yeah so the idea it's, of being political yeah. now it's not that it's woke simply isn't the case it's just that people now have the term woke that they want to throw around because it makes them look big and clever or they think it makes them look big and clever it's like yeah being woke the word woke is only ever used in a derogatory term and people who are actually quote-unquote woke will never use the word woke to describe themselves. And now no. woke doesn't sound like a word anymore because I've said it too much. But... but the, <laughs> <laughs> the fact is, this whole thing... I mean, the, the, the whole dynamic between Mr. and Mrs. Connolly, Eddie and Rita, none of that really plays into the narrative of the episode massively obviously the the people being taken away yeah and mr conley trying to protect his inverted commas reputation by getting rid of the filthy monsters off his street mm-hmm. whatever like that plays into it but that isn't this it, it's not the same as saying like climate change is going to end up being orphan 55 and if you keep, yeah you know using plastics praxis will happen mm-hmm. and blah 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 like none of that is relevant this isn't necessarily pushing a political agenda this is a representation of what it was like back then yes it is quite amplified mm-hmm. it's a very sort of concentrated and slightly over the top um representation but that was how it was well yeah i mean it's like i said to you when we were watching it didn't i i said the fact that like I understand that he is supposed to be kind of like the dominant male presence in the household, which is as it was at the time. But I like the fact that they didn't just leave it at this is acceptable and they kind of pushed it to be that he was kind of like an exceptional case of being slightly abusive with his like dominance slash power. Um, And therefore 
they actually kind of twisted it around in the fact that it's like, you know, just because this was how it was doesn't mean that's how it should be. Um, yeah. And I think that is what ties it back in quite nicely to the modern approach to those kind of gender norms and gender stereotypes and stuff like that and i obviously it also i know you said it doesn't play into the plot very much but it does give us that amazing scene where the doctor and rose both absolutely trash they tear him into, into the shreds floor, don't they don't it's they? brilliant and that's always been one of my favorite scenes is when he's like it is what it's, gender it's is the queen because <laughs> it irrelevant irrelevant of the the gender norms being enforced it is still just an abusive character mm-hmm. if this were the if this were an alien planet in the year 3076 and you've got a like a, a, a feminine character being abusive to their masculine partner and their child and the doctor and the companion still went to town on this abusive character you'd still have that same like oh yeah yeah Mm-mm. like yeah but you get that power shift between Rita and Eddie after the coronation, which again plays into this whole "this is a new era." Yeah, this is gonna, this is going, and this is this isn't a, a comment on this should be going. It's like it's a comment on this did go well to a yeah. pretty reasonable extent. Mm-hmm. Not enough entirely, but it was the start of something, mm-hmm. a big change in society, and that's it, it's it's kind of reminds me of. Uh, Thin Ice in series 10 with uh, the 12th Doctor and Bill when they go back to Victorian London and the Thames is frozen over. Oh, and because and she's Bill black. black. Yeah. And that, that guy starts mouthing off and the Doctor just socks him one in the yeah. face. It's that same kind of dynamic. It's like this isn't based in terms of being woke or making a political statement. It's like this is literally just how the world was. Mm-hmm. And it's something that Doctor Who... I, I didn't really... I, I wouldn't have aligned this as much with Thin Ice and Rosa when mm. um, Ryan gets punched by that dude, that white guy. Oh, yeah. At the beginning, because mm. he picks up the woman's hat or something. Mm-hmm. Like, the do- Doctor Who was not afraid to represent the era as the era was. Uh, it's something I've always re- I've always respected Doctor Who mm-hmm. for. Definitely. Obviously, they can't go too far. It's a family show, but I think it's it's skimp on the details. Yeah, really. it's kind of like how... Um, Disney Channel back in like the early noughties or sort of like early mid to noughties or whatever when you had shows like That's So Raven commenting on racism and show like you know Disney Channel shows when we were kids were very very good at social commentary in a way that kids would understand and I think part And I think Doctor Who does it in a very similar way. And I think part of the reason why a lot of people of our generation grew up to be, you know, not everyone, unfortunately, but, you know, the majority of the generation of us and the upcoming generations are much more acceptable is because we grew up with TV shows like this episode of Doctor Who and like kids TV shows teaching us that you know certain things are just not okay and like you shouldn't treat people any differently because of the color of their skin or their gender or how they identify or their sexual orientation and blah 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 everything else etc etc so I think this episode does it very well and I think it's something that is is worthwhile like including despite the fact that it doesn't really impact on the overall plot of the episode yeah it makes it more 
interesting to watch it adds a little bit more tension to mm-hmm. the whole the whole plot aside from there being this weird alien tv woman trying to eat people's faces which to be honest we should probably move on to yeah uh, given that's the main point of the episode but- yeah um the wire rocks up to mr magpie played by ron cook who honestly i only ever see ron cook as uh parker in the live action thunderbirds oh my film. god i thought i recognized him it's literally like the only thing i'm like oh jesus the Christ. only thing i can think of like off the top of my head that that's the thing that i recognize him from the most of anything like he was in The Witcher on Netflix, right? Um, very briefly, and he did, he, you know, he did a bunch of other stuff. But the, the, out of all the things I've seen, he's Parker, and he's Mister Magpie Incredible. from. I was Doctor thinking, Who. you know, when you like, because obviously I've watched Doctor Who so many different times. You know, when you yeah. like recognize somebody and you think, do I recognize them because I recognize them in other things, or do I just recognize them because I've watched this show far too much? And I was thinking, yeah. no, I probably just recognize them because I've watched this show uh, like countless times. And then now you've said that, I'm like, oh my god, yeah, the Thunderbirds movie. <laughs> just very quick segue. I unapologetically really enjoyed that oh, Thunderbirds great, film from great. 2004. In the grand scheme of Thunderbirds, it's terrible. Is that the one with but... Vanessa Hudgens? Yes, Man. playing uh, Tintin. Absolute killer. They had to do. They had to properly like rejig that character because it's a bit problematic mm. but um and the hood film. as well i think but yeah i and also busted did the film song and thunderbirds are going by busted wow. is an absolute tune Bop. so absolutely yeah, anyway tune. The, the wire rocks up and ron cook's like oh dearie me oh no and it creates this um this very surreal representation of 1953 and something that again going into this this podcast and re-watching it and and really looking at things from a more media standpoint and actually having to analyze it one thing that i'd never really seem to notice about this episode is basically the entire thing is shot on a canted angle Mm -hmm. like literally every single shot in this episode is tilted Mm. to give you this very it's it's quite it's 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 clever because obviously it's it's subtle because you don't really notice it until yeah, you see it. Yeah, it's not super right obviously there. done because like it some Dutch angles this... can be like really, really, like really on a thing. I think it's called a Dutch angle. Are you Googling it? I'm just checking that. I'm pretty I'm sure. Just yeah, have... is it, it is a it is a Dutch angle, Dutch tilt right. canted the angle. The only reason I know that angle. is thanks yeah. to Dan Nerdcubed because he mentioned it. <laughs> what did he, what was he talking about? I can't remember, but he was talking about something where it might have been in his uh, F year Doctor Who podcast. I won't obviously say the full title of that, yeah. but um, he mentioned the Dutch angle, and I was like, "Oh, is that what it's called?" Googled it. So thanks, Ned Cube, for teaching me about mm-hmm. de- camera stuff. Um, I remember right. I remember the first time I ever used a canted angle in filmmaking because, in case in case you don't know, I mean, I've seen people who watch this will understand that I've come from a media background. Um, and I've done a lot of filming and stuff, and I still do now. Um, I went to, I think I've said this before, I went to Cardiff in 2007 for a Blue Piece competition for, called My Movie. And I remember being there. We were shooting a like a short film in Cardiff, in the Millennium Centre. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we've had this conversation on the podcast um, before because didn't you mention but, Screaming? Yeah, yeah, the girl screaming into the yeah, iMac yeah. microphone because yeah. we didn't have a screaming sound effect. But when we were shooting, we had to do a couple of shots of this girl running from one end of the uh, Millennium Center to the other. And the guy who was 
helping us out. It, it was one of those moments that since it's so obvious now, and I remember seeing him do it, and my mind just went kaboom. Like he just literally like unclipped one of the tripod legs and just tilted the camera. Yeah. And I was what looking at the back of the the camera, the screen, and I was like, "That's so cool!" Because I'd never ever thought like, to do it. Thought of doing stuff like that because it's always been a case of like tripod, boom, that's that. Mm-hmm. You don't do any more with it than what you do there. And literally that guy, I've got no idea what he was called, cannot remember for the life of me. have got no clue what he's doing now, whether he came, he probably came from the BBC in some way, shape or form. Mm. But he taught me one of these little things that I've just used forever, like shooting B-roll for reviewing a steering wheel at work. I have been messing around with tripods and putting them in ridiculous places. And this guy teaching me how to do a canted angle sparked that entire somebody's thing. got to teach you how to do it though haven't they because so i mean thank you to that guy well you've got to pick <laughs> whoever you may be somewhere but yeah everything every, like pretty much like 95 percent of every shot in this episode up until the point where the wire is defeated is shot on a canted angle and it you don't realize when you notice it you realize just how peculiar everything looks mm-hmm. it's like coming from the episode coming from age of cybermen and uh Rise of the Cybermen, Age of Steel. Yeah. Um, where, you know, as Mickey says, everything's the same, but a little bit different. Do, shooting stuff on a canted angle is like that. Mm-hmm. This is everything about this, apart from the weird talking television and the faceless people. Everything else about this visually is the exact same as how you'd expect it to look in 1953. Yeah. Imagine taking something like the aesthetic of the empty child in series one how convincing that blitz london looked like mm. and just tilt the camera a bit and it just makes everything look a little bit stranger yeah i mean it's so they simple, do do it, it so in well. the empty child they do have that kind of is it they do have a couple of yeah yeah going down the hallway and stuff don't they they have the whole they're the show where it sort of swings yeah, around yeah. isn't it um but yeah the whole that you get i think it's because you get acclimatized to the fact that the whole thing's shot on an angle mm-hmm. I was going to say something, it, I can't remember. You what it was. really notice it. I think it was, um, I think it goes some way into kind of making it almost seem dated. Um, like, because for some reason, I feel like I believe that it's the 60s, not the 60s, sorry, start that again. The 50s. I believe it's the <laughs> 50s, more so when I see the Dutch angles for some reason. And I don't know if it's because. I'm used to seeing this episode and so it just feels natural when I watch the episode because that's how it is. But like you said, when you notice it, it's kind of like, oh, that's a bit odd. Why did they do that? But it also goes some way to sort of, you realise it and then you notice it for like five minutes and then you forget about it again. Um, So I think it's really easy to kind of like just accept that that's just... But there are some shots that are really obviously different. Like when they, for example, probably stick a GoPro in the top corner of the ceiling in the house yeah. and, like, everything the, those, is blurry and Those a shots are slightly... They are the more different shots. Mm-hmm. It's just the... the, the it's, I think it only happens really in the house. or It does happens in the house predominantly. I think they use it a bit as, like, an establishing shot because it's such a strange establishing yeah, shot. They, they do. really push that weird aesthetic. And obviously you do have a couple of shots that are relatively normal. And then as said, once the wire is defeated, everything goes level again. Mm-hmm. It was something I was watching for afterwards. And I'm pretty certain every shot, as soon as the wire is gone, nothing is cantered again, except for the point where Rita forces Eddie 
out yeah. of her house. Mm-hmm. That one the, was. Those shots are still... You get that establishing shot high up and then you get the, the couple of counted shots inside. As soon as he moves back outside when he's leave, when he's left, mm-hmm. that's it. I Everything's think straight again. also they do the um, shots from the ceiling because it's a very clever way to get them like when the granny's knocking on the floor upstairs or the door or whatever. It's a very clever way to sort of show them looking up everyone is her. everyone is reacting to it and yeah, hearing yeah. it at the same time um, by getting them all in frame at once and it does make you feel very like fly on the wall kind of voyeuristic mm. look at this family and what they're like dealing with when you're just kind of trapped in the corner of the ceiling as opposed to like being level and seeing their heads like go from your height to like upwards you can actually see like everything as if you were already kind of upstairs looking through the floor which I think works quite well. You're being thrown around and kind of disoriented, mm-hmm. which is, you know, the kind of idea in this whole episode to make things, like I said, everything's familiar, but it's also really peculiar. It's like when you're drunk and you're walking around your house and everything's yeah. spinning. It's, that, it's kind of trying to push that mm, idea A little across. bit. But you said downstairs, didn't you, that it was the, in that idea of like familiar but different was because of yeah. the fact that they didn't want kids to stop watching TV or yeah. whatever. So obviously with, with Doctor Who, they played on it. They played up on it a ton throughout the course of the show's history, and they take something normal and they make it scary. You've got shop window dummies. Ugh. You've got um, you know things like gas masks. You've got shadows later on. You've got statues in series three. This episode's like let's make TV scary. How about no? Now obviously. <laughs> In terms of the narrative, the coronation is an integral part because it gives the wire the audience she needs to feed and blah, 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 blah. So it makes a lot of sense to use that. But if they'd have taken this episode, this concept of this alien coming in via lightning and using television to um, feast on humanity and succeed in their evil plan or whatever, if they'd have set that in a modern day and they made kids afraid of... TVs in the same way they made kids afraid of statues and tele- and uh, shadows and stuff like that. Making kids afraid of TVs is a bit counterproductive for a show that exists on TV through television. Yeah. So I don't know whether this might just be me overanalyzing it, and there's probably a very good chance that it is the case. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they set this back in 1953 when TVs were very very new and they are very 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 different to how they are now it created enough of a disconnect for kids to be like, this is a scary villain and a scary idea, but my TV doesn't look like that. Yeah. Therefore, it's okay. Obviously, back in 2006, I can't tell you exactly what kind of TV that the family had in 2006. Oh my God, I can. Do you want to know what my fa- my family TV looked like? It was... Was it a Shrek one? Huge. No, sadly not. <laughs> I'm not interested then. It was huge for first off. It was like... I, I mean... How big is a TV? Do you know what I mean? But it's when I say huge, I mean depth, not width. Like it's a big. It was was, thick boy. So it was quite big widthways as well. As far as I remember, we had a decent sized, probably twenty or so inches, maybe on the TV, Um, because obviously everything went through a phase of getting bigger, then smaller, now bigger again. Um, so we, this was in the point where everything was getting bigger for the first time and it was grey and it was like yeah. proper plasticky old grey that it was like around the edges and it was really deep and it sat on top of a grey TV a pro- was it a proper CR- Was it a proper CRT? I've got not a clue. 
Was it like really, really fat? Yeah. Oh yeah, it was huge. Absolutely like, did it take huge. a moment? Did it take a bit of time to warm up when you turned it on? Maybe I'm not sure, but okay. in any case, it was big. It was chunky. It was proper thick with three C's. It oh was. Oh boy, that's that's a thick ass boy. It was boy. old. And I mean, it did the job, but it it was in our house for a long time. And I remember when we swapped it for like a flat screen and it was like, oh, my God, this is like incredible. (laughs) I'm trying to think of what kind of TV we would have had. I (laughs) Sorry. Oh, bless you. (laughs) I'm not entirely sure what it would have been. I remember having the the, the TV that I had at university in our second year. Oh, my God, I remember that. Was like... I think it was my family's first flat screen. And by flat screen, it's like inverted commas flat screen because it was like an LCD. Mm. But the TV depth itself was still pretty thick. It was a good like maybe seven or eight inches thick. Mm -hmm. So it might have been something like that. Maybe. I don't know whether it was HD. It probably wasn't. It might have been 720 at a push. Mm. But it might have been something like that. But anyway, like obviously classic wood grain, you know, arguably gorgeous televisions from mm. the 1950s versus your you know your silver slash gray crt you know the ones with the built-in vcr underneath oh yeah ours had a built everyone built-in had VCR. one of them i had one in my bedroom i had very... a small tv in my bedroom with a built-in vcr yeah. with like it's it, it's similar enough you can see where it's gone it's 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 different from like tvs in 2021 versus tvs in 20 no 1953 not 2006 um like there's enough of a difference there for kids to not be afraid of it, but I just thought eh, maybe that's why it's set so far back, rather than being set with something so familiar as a TV to scare kids away from it and therefore potentially lose viewership. Mm. It might be, like I said, this could be me overthinking it. Most likely is. I mean, but... kids are scared of anything. Like my mum bloody hid beyond the pillow at Scooby Doo when she was younger. Like my sister hid beyond the pillow at Mister Chips when she was younger. <laughs> uh, still does. I think, we, to I this think day. we've had this discussion already. Yeah, my sister hates Mister Chips from Catchphrase. <laughs> Catchphrase is great. <laughs> Sorry, Laura. <laughs> I'm just outing oh, you. D- <laughs> <laughs> But, oh my. but yeah, so I mean, uh, kids will be afraid of anything. So I can understand why they wouldn't want kids to be afraid of televisions. And obviously, leaning into TVs is like everyone has one. So let's do that. It's like making kids afraid of radio. But then again, you only really listen to radio in the car or you get mm. Alexa to tell you to, to ask it to listen to the radio. That's about it. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's one of the it's like taking a common thing, trying to make it scary. Idiot's Lantern kind no i say it doesn't achieve it it works well enough in its context to work as an episode Mm. but it's not going to leave you afraid of them like people as i said people were afraid of statues i'm more scared of the woman than the tv people afraid of shadows like the woman's well creepy i mean whoever act whoever the actress is does a phenomenal job because I literally am like Maureen Lipman. I'm like, don't come near me ever if I see you in the street. I'm walking <laughs> the other way. Like, please don't. <laughs> yeah, the, I don't know what it is about. She has the right voice, and they did the right sort of things to her. That they, they, the way that they made her voice sound like it was coming from a speaker. It sounded so perfectly 1950s. Mm-hmm. There's something about music and television and how things sounded back then that's so distinct yeah and it's something i've always wanted to try and master because as much as like on adobe audition it's like here's a thing that makes it sound like it's coming from a tv it's like yeah but it's not the right kind of tv it's like hearing the chorus in the background of a glenn miller song Mm -hmm. or how every single 
uh, old Disney film started oh, yeah. with that same chorus that, like, of choir, blokes, yeah, like in the, at the beginning of like Peter Pan, and it always and sounds the same. Like, like really dis- Sleeping Beauty really discreet and thing. Cinderella yeah. and like films like that were all very yeah. I know what you mean. It's very they 60s, absolutely nail isn't it? it? Weirdly, yeah, like very fifties, very sixties. Yeah, it's mid twentieth century, and they nail. Uh, she nails her voice in that obviously she mm. is older so she is from that kind of era um but that they made it so convincing like to the extent that when I, I remember first watching this and thinking did they get somebody in to act like someone who was on the tv at back the time then? yeah um and obviously i think it's meant to be just this this is a representation of how things were with like sort of presenters mm-hmm. and, you know are you are we sitting comfortably now we'll begin that's like a, a very a given thing from television back in that era yeah um and she plays it really well she's pretty creepy and obviously speak we've already spoken about uh eddie and rita played by jamie foreman and deborah gillett or gillet 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 something probably uh, probably um they do really well one person we haven't spoken about yet is tommy tommy played by rory jennings tommy. who is obviously this uh who's the son who stands up to his father on more occasions and becomes more confident am i allowed to uh, say he's attractive or is he too young I think by now he is probably going to be old enough. He is 37. I mean, Jesus Christ. I mean, I was obviously (laughs) younger than him when the show aired. We were 11 when that came out. Um, But can say now, attractive. I quite like the look of him. And speaking of liking the look of people, when David Tennant pops his head out the TARDIS and he came around with that hair and being rich by his we got oh, pretty far what? through with that before talking about David Tennant with his hair up. Yeah. He was. Uh, Rose, bless her. Rose is very much on it this episode. Mm. She she seizes every opportunity to bash down Mr. C. And I don't blame her. That very comedic bit where she says that you're. Uh, um, you, you're flying the Union flag upside down and then grins and then dashes yeah. out of frame. It's very cartoony and very and silly. See, this is what I like about uh, this episode. It's the humour. It's like, I pointed out to you, didn't I? In that scene in the inspector's <laughs> office, when... When Tennant's captured. Tennant is captured and the inspector's like, tell us everything you know from the start. And he goes, well, I know you can't wrap your hand around your elbow and make your fingers meet. And then in the background, when the inspector's talking, the guy in the suit is actually like very slowly reaches over to his elbow and puts his hand I around never his arm. Spotted that. And I was like, oh, I love this bit because the guy does this. And you were like, wait, does he? And you had to rewind it to check. And I've always noticed it. And I always find it really I've funny. I've never noticed that. I love it. That's brilliant. So if you were, if you didn't notice, just hop back and go to the scene where David's in the inspector's office and just watch the guy in the suit behind him. And he, he reaches around his elbow. And it's quite funny. <laughs> Tommy feels like this very... <coughs> He feels like a, a sort of vessel to merge together the, the narratives of his mum and dad or his dad kicking off at his mum mm. and the events of the episode going on. He is that bridge. And some people didn't enjoy his character. And I can kind of understand that. He's not, he's not the case. You kind of root for Tommy, but you don't, I wouldn't say you don't care for him. But I think there are other mm. characters that are introduced in other episodes that I think you get a lot more attached to, like um, Mrs. Uh, What's It from last time. What's her name in Age of, oh, in Mrs. Moore. Age of Steel? Mrs. Moore. Like that whole section in the in the cooling tunnel, and you really start to feel for her. You don't. I, I mean, this might just be me. I don't think you get that same thing with Tommy. I don't think it's as prominent, but I think that admittedly he doesn't die. No, well that's the thing. I, I think it's 
probably because there's no immediate danger throughout like i mean there is danger obviously through the episode but it's they not do get close to being it's not sucked up yeah, by the, the wire. yeah yeah but it's not death as we know it do you know what i mean like it is obviously tra- yeah. traumatic but there's no death in this episode and i think that is apart from mr magpie well yeah obviously unfortunately He's the only one who yeah. dies. um but i think that's maybe why you don't have that kind of similar connection to the characters in this episode because mm. there's no instant kind of oh my god everyone's gonna die it's like now they're just gonna be turned into faceless like layabouts really which is yeah. obviously a shame and like really disappointing but I, I mean i like tommy i think his character's really good i think he's obviously very clever as they i think of, he's portrayed well yeah yeah definitely the fact that he saves the day at the end by replacing the the bulb on the doctor's betamax recorder mm-hmm um, I love that. I said to you, I said, I headcanon that Tommy ends up like living 30 years and ends up going on to uh, invent the VCR. <laughs> but that's just me. That's a, it's a running thing in Tenant's era is just, we're just going to, I'm going to keep inventing stuff earlier than I probably should do. Yeah. But, Which you know, I quite what like. The hell? Yeah, it's fun. It's stupid. I love it to bits. But no, I like Rose, Tommy's character. Obviously, yeah. Rose keeps on top of things. She's always she's ahead of the Doctor on this one because the Doctor goes chasing the car again even though he knew it disappeared the first time and it disappeared again and he loves that. Mm-mm. Rose obviously finds that it's Magpie and goes investigating herself, which, you know what, I think, she, I think because she's come from this abusive household, she is like adamant she wants this to be over so she will just go ahead and do it. I think in any other situation, she might have gone like, I'm going to hang fire and wait for the Doctor, maybe, mm. just because she knows that things can be dangerous. She's very, obviously, she is a, a very strong character. Don't need to tell I you think that part twice. of the reason why she goes investigating by herself is because it's on Earth and she knows it's on Earth. And so as yeah. much as being on Earth in the past hasn't always done her, like, the best, she's probably thinking, oh, it's 1953 Britain. Like, you know, as much as there seems to be something wrong, I can't imagine going to see a man about a television is going to get me into any danger um well lol famous last words um but she's probably thinking that she has a bit more jurisdiction and a bit more kind of um she's probably more comfortable in this which is why she's not like rushing to go after the doctor when he's like come on rose we're gonna lose them again and obviously she sees the thing from the the like the the uh electrical the back of the tv signally glittery sparkly bajigger thing (laughs) um and she's like, huh, that seems strange. And then the doctor's off and she's like, yeah, okay, that was weird. Gonna see what that's about. So she probably yeah. does it for those reasons. But also I think she's kind of got to that point where she's been traveling with the doctor for a while. And it's like really, she's getting to the point now where she can sort of figure things out for herself because she's starting to think similarly to him and obviously tenant doctor points it out um in this episode when he says oh of course she no no it wasn't that it was when she when he's walking along the street with tommy and he goes oh she noticed it as soon as we got here it's the fact that they've all got aerials and yeah like and it's that kind of leap that he there's a mutual trust between the two Mm -hmm. hence why you know as much as obviously in the only the episode prior the story prior that He's like, you know, I can't, you know, you can't tell humans anything because they just go off and do what they want. 
but obviously whatever's happened in between those two that that two-parter and now there is this there's much more trust and they will feel more comfortable because the doctor doesn't have mickey around anymore yeah that's true so yeah and just very quickly on the doctor the fact that he i love getting to see the fire behind the doctor behind any doctor when their companion's in trouble you can tell that 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 care the doctor has that 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 love he has for rose is so present here with just how quickly his um demeanor changes when he realizes that it's rose like there's not it doesn't feel like there is much at all of any sorrow Mm -mm. like i think the doctor feels like he's past that point with rose yeah there is no there's not going to be a oh i'm sorry oh i'm so sorry kind of like how it was in uh dalek when the doctor think rose is dead yeah and there is that whole there's a much longer sequence of him being much more somber and then he kicks off in this there is no hesitation he is off because he's been with her for long enough now that he's like if anybody hurts her i'm gonna kill you basically um and i think that's probably really kind of important that they get that across because it shows that their dynamic is starting to shift as like a pair as well as like individual characters um so no i i totally get it because let's be honest if it's not like i think the difference is as well is that she's not again she's not dead so he can see her in front of him and he's like this isn't right like this is my rose like what have you done to her and that is the kind of anger that comes from knowing that she's still there but isn't there um and and you get that anger in that first bit but then you get a very kind of hint of sorrow when they go to the tv shop and um he sees her face on the screen and she's screaming doctor very obviously screaming doctor and he's like i'm on my way i promise and it's like despite the fact that at that point in the episode you're you don't know that everything's going to be fine and everyone's going to go back to normal you all i think it's I, i mean i don't know whether it's because i've watched the episode before and therefore know that everything goes back to normal or whether it's because of the fact that it's a more jovial kind of fun like light-hearted episode that you kind of assume that everything's gonna be like back to normal and everybody's gonna be fixed like everybody lives rose well except magpie lol except magpie but it's like yeah you kind of get that in that uh what's the word i'm looking for you kind of have that assumption when he's saying to rose like i'm on my way that it's like oh so obviously there's gonna be some sort of like rectifying like yeah it was going to be all sorted out by the end of the episode yeah Mm -hmm. so that kind of brings us back to that sort of initial question or the initial thing we talked about was the idea of people don't necessarily like this episode and to go over to the twitters at Castapod, um i asked the question i asked the question about questions actually and um peter got in touch and asked whether we feel like this is a throwaway episode or a hidden gem and they said, I've never, feel pass- I've never felt partial to it personally. Mm. And I think we kind of answered that at the beginning. Or yeah. at least for me personally, it's not either throwaway or hidden. Mm, I was going to say. It's just kind of there. As I said, it's it's filler to the extent that it does enough to not feel blatantly like filler. It's good enough. It's not great. It just does what it needs to do and fair enough yeah i wouldn't say it was bad by any stretch like it's definitely not a bad episode 
Um, there have been there have been worse episodes overall, and there oh have God, been episodes yeah. that have been equally as sort of competent, but have had much more negative parts. I'm looking at Aliens of London World War Three and all the fart jokes. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's good stuff, and I think this is still good enough. Yeah, no, I def I wouldn't say it. Yeah, I wouldn't say it was uh, purely sort of filler, but I also wouldn't say it was like super hidden gem so yeah i think you're right i think it's in the middle it's a good enough episode to sort of light-heartedly sit yeah. down watch it enjoy it go on to the next week it's better than having a really bad episode mm. that tried to be a really good episode yeah which, you know we get a lot of that in the future yeah like if you frankly. were doing a like as we are if you're doing a watch through I wouldn't be sat there thinking, oh, God, I've got to watch Idiot's Lantern. Like, I'd just be sat there going, oh, it's Idiot's Lantern next week. Okay. Like, you know. SPMI 2.0. No idea how to say that. Spamy. Hello, Spamy. Not really a question, but has said that the kid in Idiot's Lantern, i.e. Tommy, also played Davros Mm. in Big Finish's I, Davros and asked us to give it a shout out. Now, I, Davros, is actually one of the few Big Finish things I've been really like. I should really listen to this Mm. because, you know me, I'm a big Dalek fan. And I remember reading about I, Davros when I was at uni and I just never got around to listening to it. But it's all about Davros's sort of origin story. But I think it takes place. It's it was released way before uh, Magician's Apprentice, and which is right in series nine. Oh, the one where Capaldi saves that kid or what have you. That is Davros. Yeah, 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 yeah spoilers lol like, souls. yeah uh, it's it's reached that point now where i'm like i don't really want to do major spoilers but i'm pretty certain people who are listening to this have, have watched, watched doctor it. who before i mean if you have it if you are listening to this and you haven't seen all of doctor who tweet us at castapod and let us know yeah because i i, I want to say that 99 out of 100 listeners have watched all of mm-hmm. this before but also so, uh if you are worried about spoilers, then it's already like however many years old. So, so. but there's <laughs> yeah, like a true. point where you have to kind of be like, yeah, sorry, it's a little bit late for that now. Um, yeah. So, that's true. Yeah. But anyway. But yeah, I, I Davros is something we should definitely listen to. Misha asks whether we'd like to ever see the Raya return. If so, then how? And if not, then why not? No. No. Because it's a very one-dimensional character um like their only uh their only trope is i'm hungry feed me and it's kind of like once you've done that where do you go from there like how else do you feed them how else do you kind of and where else could they really end up like i know that he sort of said like oh yeah it's trapped maybe i'll tape over it blah 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 (laughs) but yeah i feel like it's there's not really a lot else you could do with it like it came to earth kind of because it was exiled or it was meant to be executed or something um and it's kind of like once you've done that and then done this what else do you do with it like there's not really much further you could go the only way you could bring back an, uh, an an enemy an adversary like this character is if you did it in a slightly different way in the same way that the clockwork robots from god in the fireplace sort of technically came back in deep breath in peter capaldi's debut Mm. like it's kind of the same thing but it's not the same thing and the only really way you could go further with this is the idea that you explore where the characters come from what race it was because obviously that's all completely left in the dark but i think as we have discussed before and I'm sure we will get to when it gets around to like the Weeping Angels. Some of that stuff just doesn't need to be explained. Mm. Just 
leave it in the dark. Yeah. Same with, I mean, actually, it's not even just the Weeping Angels. It's the bloody Doctor. Mm-hmm. Leave it in the dark. It doesn't need to be explained. Yeah, we did not need so that, basi- Chibnall. Basically, Misha, no. No. Don't think it's, the, the wire The only thing back. that kind of you could do with it, which I feel like Doctor Who has already done, is target Wi-Fi. And well, it did that. Yeah, exactly. That was the same job. That's what I mean. Did Wi-Fi. Doctor Who has already done that. So Wi-Fi bad. It's me. kind of... Yeah, internet bad, TV bad. (laughs) Finally, DHarv2k1 asks, if you were to get stuck in hell only watching one TV show, what would it be and why? Oh, Jesus Christ, I hate questions like this. It wouldn't be Doctor Who, honestly. Honestly, would not be Doctor Who. To me, probably the one I've watched the most over and over and over again. No, The Simpsons. Oh, right. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. It'll be The Simpsons for me. I honestly don't think I have anything that I would watch over and over again because there's nothing that i solely enjoy so much to the point well obviously the question is you're in hell so i guess the point is that you won't enjoy it but i guess the thing is to kind of pick like something with so many episodes and so many series that you wouldn't necessarily get bored of it but you would get bored of anything. This is why I hate questions like this. Cause I think about it too much. And I'm like, oh my god, it hurts my brain. Yeah, but so that's can... why I'm just like, yeah, it'd be The Simpsons. Okay, it's the one, if it's I... the one TV show that I've watched over and over again the most. If I had to pick out a show out of the blue, it would probably be Glee, because I don't, you can sing I don't to hate it. Glee. The songs are acceptable. Uh, Blaine is the mega hottie. I love Darren Chris. He is absolutely And the narrative beautiful. is interesting too. Yeah, there's a lot of good episodes. There's a lot of crap episodes, but it, you kind of got to take the good Same with the bad. Um, so yeah. probably Glee, even though not, but yeah. <laughs> Glee and the Simpsons. Funnily enough, on a podcast all about Doctor Who, the, a show that both of us love, we wouldn't pick Doctor Who to be the show to be stuck with for the rest of, the, rest no. of our lives unfortunately but yeah there we go that is about where we'll wrap up today for the idiot's lantern we're not too far off an hour no, i was honest, just but, looking at oh, that yeah what are you gonna do <laughs> apologies for my poorliness in the background but hopefully by next time it'll amy's will be clear but knowing amy no probably well not. this is the That's, first time i've yeah. been ill in well over a year. like literally since we went on lockdown from covid i have not had that is in lockdown one i'm talking like march, march 2020 yeah. i have not had any shred of a cold like i've had minimal smidges of like a cough where i've gone oh my god is it covid and gone no it's literally just a tickle in the back of my throat um this is the first uh, time i've been genuinely like ill with a cold since then and i'm like oh my god it's so sh- like i hate it i don't like being poorly <laughs> So, fingers crossed. I mean, it is on its way out, but the cough is just lingering a little bit. But I've got my cow pole, so we're all good. (laughs) Hey, it's good stuff. And she's going to set us off off again, I thought. Yeah. Yeah, there she goes. (laughs) But yeah, thank you all very much for listening. I really hope you've enjoyed this this week, this time, this This episode, episode, I should say. Say episode. Next, Next time... We are going up against another two-parter so soon. We are going to be doing The Impossible Planet and The Satan Pit. Oh, this is a good one. The first appearance of the Ood Mm. and the Beast. Oh, my God. And what's his name? Toby. Oh, yeah. Creepy stuff. (laughs) Toby. So make sure if you are watching along with us to watch both of those episodes together because as said as you've already probably heard with uh, Rise of the Cybermen Age of Steel we're doing two-parters as one episode now. Because it's so So much easier. So that will be next time. 
Whether it'll be next week or week after next, we will keep you in the loop. Please follow us on Twitter at Castapod. And any questions you have regarding the uh, Impossible Planet and Satan pit, then please send them to us at Castapod. Uh-huh. Simple as that. It's the easiest place. It's the only place you can really send them in now because we're not on YouTube anymore. No. Please send them in there. I will do a little tweet on the day of... Uh, on next Wednesday or the day that we do definitely record. Next time. To be like, yo, let's do this. But if you're listening and you want to look out for it Wednesday after 6pm because that is when we sit down to like watch the episode because we cook, we sit down while we eat and then we record after dinner. We immediately So if you want to tweet so. us a question, make sure it's by Wednesday on 6pm and whether it's next Wednesday or the Wednesday after, we will still see it. Just put it, just send us it, on, just send us it at Castapod, we'll see it. Mm-hmm. So don't, don't miss out on getting your questions in about that big old two-parter. But that'll be about where we wrap up this evening. Amy's going to go and fill her face with cowpaw. I'm going to go and die. Not, preferably not too much. And don't do that either. That's 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 sad. Please, I'm, please I'm don't. not. I'm not. I'm just going to go and take some painkillers and just sleep. And fall asleep. I'm probably going to play some video games. <laughs> video, games. Cool <laughs> video games. Video games indeed. Games. Thank you all very much for li- for listening. Listening, listening. I was going to say watching, weekend. so my brain was watching. out. <laughs> Have a fantastic weekend. We'll see you next time for Impossible Planet and Satan Pits. Amy, where can they follow you? They can for follow me stuff? on Instagram at uh, Ames underscore Elizabeth for my day-to-day normal account or a- at Amy Cakes Baking for my baking stuff. You can follow me on Twitter at PickupChangeToe and also just the, the general podcast at Castapod, as we've said. Until we see you again, be good. Take, Take care. care. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.